Welcome to Fate of Mates, everyone. I'm Sarah McLean. I write romance novels. I read romance novels. And I'm Jen Prokop, and I read romance novels and talk about them on Twitter and in real life. Stop me on the street. I'm good. <laughs> um, yay. So w- this week I'm excited. I'm, ex- I'm, so, I'm excited for interstitials. We originally thought interstitials were going to be just like 10 minutes long and no big deal. And we'll just wreck some books that we love. And now it feels like interstitials are like the money of the yeah. of of the show. First of all, they're really fun. And second of all, I think they're just like really interesting. And not just because we're talking at each other. But I love all the guests we've been having. And I love when we get really, we dig deep on tropes. And I'm super excited about this week's. That is not to say that I am not also super excited about Pleasures of a Dark Prince, which is coming up next. So, Although, wait, I don't know that that's the right order, because Scotland comes before Pleasures of a Dark Prince, right? Oh, God, here we are. Okay. That is not to say that I'm not super excited about, you know, demons and werewolves and wolf holograms and we're coming close, closer and closer to Ruin every day. You guys, <laughs> every day we get closer to Sweet Ruin. So get ready. Because it's going to be go. a 10 episode <laughs> extravaganza <laughs> <Mini> series. <laughs> oh, it is. It's going to be a mini series. There are like You're 90 right. chapters in Rune. Maybe we should just do one chapter. <laughs> we were talking about, um, as, as those of you who follow us on Twitter know that Jen and I are obsessed with Derek Craven, who is the hero of Lisa Kleypas' Dreaming of You. And we, are, we love him a whole lot internet yeah. like i'm like actually giggling i'm like Derek Craven. he's not even real <laughs> he's but he's so real real to me. in our hearts and that's what matters yeah. but we were talking about what will we do in season two what is season two gonna be and i joked we should just do a whole season on dreaming of you and it should just be chapter by chapter <laughs> we would lose so many listeners we would we would. No, people would be like, you can't do it. And I'd be like, hold my beer. Chapter one, Derek is born. <laughs> In a gutter. Look, it can be done. I'm just saying I don't think anyone would listen to it. Oh, man. Anyway, redreaming of you. Okay. So this week, actually a couple weeks ago, we asked for some suggestions for interstitial episodes. And we had someone suggest a really fun topic, which is gateways to romance. And the way we interpreted that was, um, okay, you, you're talking and you meet someone and they find out you're a romance reader and they're not really, but they're interested. How do you, what do you wreck them? And then like, how do we think about what it means to like wreck certain books over others? That's accurate. I feel like that's a very good description. Because I think this is a thing that librarians do intuitively, when librarians do reader advisory, as a natu- it's a natural instinct for them. They're trained to do it. When you go to a librarian and you say, I don't really know what to read, but I really like mysteries and I like, you know, books with girl in the title. <laughs> and they, you know, they know all the girl books and they give them to you. Um, romance is really tricky, though, because there are literally hundreds of thousands of romance novels. Oh, yeah. The genre is so vast and so it has both depth and breadth, right? So yes. there is 
aside from as basic as like, well, what kind of heat level are you thinking of? Or what kind of subject? Right. You know, what subgenres would you be potentially interested in? There's also like tropes and characters and world building and, you know, a thousand other things that yeah. In other genres, maybe you don't have to think about as much because romance has all of those things built into it, right? So if you come to me right. and you say, I love mysteries, there are romances with mysteries in them. Sure. There are romantic suspenses with, you know, thriller elements, and there are paranormals that are bonkers. <laughs> when I built my website, which I'll put in show notes, it was like really designed to answer this question because I realized that what I was doing was essentially asking a really simple question, which was, do you like historicals or contemporary? Mm. And then I had like a go-to answer. And what I realized is I was like, you know, there are more than just two books in the world. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I should do a better job. And what I, I asked a bunch of people on Twitter, like how they tackle this. And and I ended up then building sort of a like like a little like tree, like, right. So you click on like, I would like contemporary and then it gives you like some choices about like the age of the heroes and heroines or the tropes. And I feel like it, it's, you know, it's still like a really limited, like, okay, if you end up on sports romances, it's still only four choices, but I feel like it was my way of saying like, okay, actually there's a, like a pool of maybe a hundred books that everybody would love. Mm -hmm. And how do we get people to like figure out what those Mm -hmm. are? So I, but you're, it's, it's really complicated to like get to like kind of drill down, especially if it's someone who has never read a romance, heat level, subgenre, that doesn't even make sense. Sure. Sure. No, I mean, and when I get asked this question and I get this question a lot, um, you know, my instinct always is to say, well, you tell me what your favorite book is or what you love to read. And actually Mm -hmm. in off a recent recently what i've started asking people is what's your favorite television show oh right because i feel like romance should be read the way television is binged like yeah you should not want to put a romance novel down i've i've said right. this i don't know if i've said this on the podcast yet but i say it publicly all the time like if it takes you longer than 6 hours to read a sarah mclean novel i've done something wrong Right. Like, I just don't want you putting the book down. And so it feels like these in this world where everything is bingeable, you know, what's the show you binged last? Yeah. And then I can sort of guide you in a direction, maybe. Yeah, that's great. So, I mean, the challenge, of course, is that we don't have we should do a call in episode. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) That would be amazing. Um, But we we don't have the the opportunity to ask, you know, you guys to ask us for recommendations. Do you know who the book oracle is? Do you follow him, John Warner on Twitter? No. He, um, he was really big in the tournament of books, which is something near and dear to my heart, which I really haven't talked about much, but it's amazing. And he will do this thing where, and he has a column, I think in the Tribune, like the book section where people write in and tell him the last five books they've read. And he recommends a book based on those five. That's amazing. Yeah. It's, it is like watching a magician at work. I'm pretty sure (laughs) you and I could absolutely do it on for romance. Oh, for sure we could. But so this is really for, so we assume, Jen and I are assuming that um, baseline, everyone on this podcast, listening to this podcast is a romance reader. Right. We just, if, 
If not, hey. Or you or you're our friends or family. Or your friends or family, or you have like a weird obsession with us, which is, you know, fine. Sure, cool. Fine. Okay. But we're assuming that. And then uh on top so for us, we thought that this would be what would be really fun was to talk about the books that we really would recommend to a romance virgin. Like somebody who was yeah. just walking in to the room, knew nothing about romance, but was open-minded about it. So I think what you're going to find is um, the books that we've selected are mainly like Romance 100 in terms of the level yeah. of – there are no Cressley Cole books on this list. Right. Um, I don't know that I would, would – here's a good question. Would you ever start a romance – a total romance virgin with a hunger like no other? Maybe if they were like my favorite TV show was it's The Walking blood. Dead, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess. But no, I mean honestly, no, because I have recommended books to like friends who have never read romance before, and it just—it's like, how do you even tackle that, right? It's yeah. so there's so much embedded in sort of like our understanding of how like that story works and what's going on and faded. I mean, all of it. Yeah, it's just not even really that accessible, I would think, maybe. Well, I also think that there are a lot of things that romance readers just don't get in terms of, like, um, what's weird, for lack of a better term, about the genre. I remember sitting with Jamie Green, uh, who is the romance reviewer of The New York Times, and I think Jamie's sort of a recent comer to romance. She loves it, but she didn't grow up with it the way you and I did. And we were talking and she said, here's the thing. In other books, no one ever notices how the characters smell or (laughs) what color their eyes are. And unless it's like the villain, you know, had ice cold blue eyes or whatever. Like, unless the eyes are really like important in some way or odd in some way. But in romance, these are things that we code into the text instantly, right? No one ever notices like the muscle in a hero's jaw ticking in like a (laughs) thriller. Jason Jason Bourne's jaw muscle has (laughs) never never ticked. ticked. And so she was, and her point, and I think it's really well taken, and of course, like, I thought this was hilarious, is there are, um, there are fingerprints in romance that I assume, you know, I've never written anything outside of romance, but if I ever were to write something outside of romance, I assume I would bring those fingerprints with me. So I've recommended um, one of my, like, like, constant conversions is a guy I used to work with, his name's Ernie, and we keep in touch, and... And I was, and he was like, yeah, sure. He's a huge reader and he's trying to not be on screen. So like reading, he like really has taken up. And I have recommended romances to him. And, you know, the whole, like the focus on the couple, but without like necessarily a whole big outside plot was sort of inexplicable to him. He's like, but wait, (laughs) you know, I mean, um, you know, just sort of the, like, he'd be like, all they need to do is talk to each other. And I'm like, shut up, Ernie. I mean, so the whole idea that, or in an in a historical especially right like the whole like the focus on the regency in that time mm-hmm. period there's why? so much that we just all why get. would why <laughs> and he was like i don't understand really any of this at all so my first book is a YA novel called The Season and um when I move and it's basically like romance gateway drug right it's set in the regency it's about three best friends there's sort of there's a little bit of a murder it's a little you know whatever it's a little rompy and um then I wrote Nine Rules to Break When Romancing Rake which is you know a 
classic Regency, yeah. like beat for beat a Regency um, historical. It's naughty. Um, and I remember the first review that like popped up on Goodreads for Nine Rolls was clearly a reader who had come from the season. And she uh-huh. said, there are so many words in this book that I don't understand. And, yeah. like, it was, like, the ton and, like, right. the modiste and whatever. And those <laughs> books were were in the season, too, but they were always, like, qualified, like, the modiste, comma, sure. the dressmaker. You know, like, right, right. everything was much more, whereas when you're writing in a, I mean, when oh, yeah. you're writing in Hare's universe, which is what we all kind of are doing, this, like, universe created yeah. by Georgia Hare, like, uh, we can use all these shortcuts. Sure. Sure. And if even if you didn't know what it was the first time, uh, 800 Regencies later, you figured out what fucking Bond Street is. Fine. <laughs> That's where the fashion comes from. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that for me is a really big part of. So when I'm recommending a romance, it's like, what's the hook? How am I going to kind of pull them in? What am I going to say it's like? And then what do I think it's offering? Like, in what way is it essentially a perfect example of it in the genre. Yes. Right? I want to give them a book that I think is essentially yeah. perfect. You do not want to start a brand new romance reader with a not great book. No. And I think I've learned this over time. And I mean, of course, that seems totally reasonable. But there are a lot of books that I love that, like, I appreciate are not that great. Right? That sure. I, You know, books that I've, like, been... They're perfectly entertained by that I've like texted you about or texted Sophie Jordan about and said like, oh, my God, you have to read this. And those books are not books that would end up on this list. Right. Um, Also, like I said, these are if you were thinking about romance as a coursework, say Sarah (laughs) McLean was writing you a syllabus for your (laughs) romance reading experience. um, These are not like Claire Kent's hold or Sierra Simone's Priest. These are not 400-level romances, right? This is not um, Vivisection Island. (laughs) Some of my favorite romances are 100-level romances, Oh, yeah, I'm not, I I want to be clear. It's not a judgment call. It's not a grade, right? If you were taking, you know, history classes, you have to start with, or like, you think about it as like Art 100, right? Or like Art 101 in college. You're learning the basics of how painting works. Yes. You need to exactly. know. Right. I don't know anything about painting. So I'm like, you need to know about those things. I did take that class, but whatever. <laughs> Long time ago, girl. <laughs> so do you want to start? So, okay. So I'm going to start with what I would say is is a book that I would hand to anyone who was open to historical romance now in 2019. Okay. Because um, I think it is a really solid example of both where the genre has been and where it is going. And also, it has a plot, which, again, uh, uh, I say, yeah, not at go. all critiquing the fact that romances don't typically, you know, spend the a lot of time. The plot is them falling plots. in love, right? Right. Um, and this is Diana Quincy's The Duke Who Rav- Ravished Me, um, which is. A cl- part of why I picked it for today is because it's a governess story, um, and governess duke stories are such a trope that we all 
instantly know when, you know, Tessadere says she's writing a governess Duke book. You just sort of know what's going to happen. Yes. Um, and it starts in sort of this very classic way. The hero is a total scoundrel rake who has like sex parties at his house he is um, he is everything. i'm already like well yeah what's the title of this again <laughs> yes he is like if you are a romance reader like he close your eyes and i said and i say to you like he's a scoundrel duke you know instantly he's got like right he's got prostitutes in his house he's got um, mistresses for days he's got friends who are all just reprobates and and it's and they're his house is like an crazy den of iniquity it is exactly that so much so that he has a sex room (laughs) like i'm I'm like you should see my face i'm like complete i want to read it complete you guys with a sex swing and i say this because it's going to come back to us because right now we're all like oh yeah sex swing (laughs) just hold on to that sex swing (laughs) oh boy so um here's this you know duke who absolutely wants nothing to do with nobility or um you know, internal nobility, um, or, you know, what is right or what is gentlemanly. He has no interest in, like, getting married. None of this business. And on his doorstep lands a governess one day, complete with twin seven-year-old girls. And they knock on the door at, like, 10 a.m., and the butler opens the door and is like, I think you're at the wrong house. It's got to be. And the no. butler, who is like the perfect English butler, goes up to the sex room, knocks on the door, and is like, there's a thing. And the Duke is like, I'm in the sex room. Like, you deal with it. And the butler is like, no, you have to deal with it. So turns out Isabel, the governess, and these twin girls have to he has he is their guardian now and they have to they are moving into this house and this is one of those magical but like at its core for me so much of what is beloved about these about historicals for me is the way that a hero is transformed by love like transformed by the presence of the heroine in his life, right? I mean, this is goes back to me thinking so much about romance as a metaphor for, like, how we think about patriarchy, right? Like, it's patriarchy being being tempered by matriarchy in a in a sense, right? So, um, and that's what governess stories tend to be, right? Because the governess is the one of the most powerful female figures. In a household, she holds a great deal of power because, like, literally children are – she is responsible for these children's, like, learning and intellectual learning and, like, learning as a – learning as people. Like, she's she's raising them. And keeping them as children, right? Like, there's something about, like, protecting the innocent that gets – she's not the most important innocent in the story. No, which also helps, right? And it gives her sort of a task, like – where she can be, I, like, I think there's something kind of wonderfully, um, there's something wonderful about the governess because she can be prickly without being unlikable because you always are on her yeah. side. There's something just great about this as a trope, which is why it comes back again and again and so many of us love it. But in this particular case, Isabel is prickly and she's not just prickly. She's kind of like she's 
indignant. She hates that he behaves this way. She hates that he's like this sex duke with a sex room and a sex swing. And at the same – so while he's sort of facing her disdain for his behavior and having to kind of stare at himself and like look in the mirror about this disdain – these two twin girls, and it is really hard to write children in a great way. Like, I don't love children on the page. I don't love them in my romances. I don't love writing them. It is really hard. And uh, Diana does this remarkable thing with these twins where they're part of unlocking him. Yeah. And, like, one day he, like, walks into the sex room, and we all thought that they were going to use this sex swing. And, like... These oh, twin God. girls are swinging on the sex swing because they're like, look, we found this playroom. There's an actual swing in this house. Isn't this awesome? <laughs> oh, oh, my God. I was I'm reading like... this book on a plane to California. I burst out laughing. I read this whole thing in one sitting. It's so good. And at the end, there's this, like, perfect little bow on top of there's this plot about where the girls come from and why he's their chosen guardian and why he can't pass them off to someone else and it's sort of a it's like a great romance novel plot because it's there in the background moving the uh, in the background moving the story forward but it's not like overtaking the whole thing and then at the end diana puts this lovely bow right on top of it where there's like just enough of a twist that you think to yourself this was a really masterfully written book. And I feel like anybody who was to read The Duke Who Ravished Me would immediately, first of all, pick up Diana's other books, but then also sort of say, oh, I like this. I want more Regency. Sounds amazing. And that's part of it, too, right? Like, when you're doing this kind of romance recommendation, you you don't want someone to read one romance. You want them to read – you want them to become a romance lover, it's the gateway. You're look I mean that's why it's the gateway to romance, right? You're like what's the thing that's going to pull them in and then keep them yeah on the hook, right? Keep them coming back to you and being like, "Okay, I love that. Now, what's next?" right? Yeah. Since we're starting with historicals, I also picked up I picked a historical and a contemporary just because I do feel like often um for whatever reason, and I don't know if you know if you think this is true as well, I feel like people, when they have never read a romance before, assume that they're all historicals. That somehow that's just like what's in their brain. I think that's true. And I think that's fear, right? Like I, I think – and this is something within the genre that historicals struggle with where um, the idea that the books are historical makes people think that they'll be boring like history class. yes. Oh, interesting. Well, I'm shaking my fist at all the history teachers who make people think history is boring. But okay, so this actually is a great reason for me to then tell you about my next book, which is um, Forbidden by by Beverly Jenkins, which uh, I mean, I've read a lot of Beverly Jenkins, but this book I like keep coming back to. Yeah, it's magnificent. It it really is. And I think what I also like about it is it's it's American it's telling it's not you know it's like if people think historicals like i don't want to wear read about fancy ladies in ball gowns okay well then fine i've got this other option for you right and what i love about this book like you started off by talking about the hero of the duke who ravished me but i would like to talk about beverly jenkins heroines Mm -hmm. and the woman's name is edie 
Now, I'm not sure. It's it's spelled, it looks like Eddie, but a woman in my book group said she listened to the audiobook and she thinks it's Edie, and I, I'm fine with it. So <laughs> you'll, you'll allow it. I'll allow it. But it was like one of those things where she said it, and I was like, oh, of course it's Edie. Duh. Sure. Anyway, Edie is um, making her way west. And the thing that is amazing about this book is she is basically doing it on her own. And I think one of the things that also people assume about historicals is that it's, you know, it's like what Hillary Clinton said, right? Like they're all just being thrown over the backs of horses and taken away. And this is a heroine that has a tremendous amount of agency, Mm -hmm. right? She's like, I know what I want. I know what I'm doing. She's been saving money. And then at the beginning of her trip, a bunch of bad she has there's a bunch of bad luck and and bad men that really take advantage of her so she's bought a train ticket to go west or a i don't know a stagecoach ticket whatever somebody steals it so then she has to sort of hitch a ride and she ends up with a man she thinks is a priest who she's gonna like and he has a child with her with him and she agrees to essentially like i'm gonna cook and help you out and you'll help me and then he gets her out in the middle of the desert and is basically like well what else are you going to do for me? Why don't you take off your clothes? And she is like having none of it. And he, and she basically is like, F you. She, she would never say a bad word because she was better than me. But she like, she, and she is abandoned essentially in the desert by this man. And the hero is the one who finds her. And his name's Ryan. And what's amazing about this story is that he is um, passing for white. Mm-hmm. So his mother was a slave and she is um, raped by the plantation owner. He has multiple siblings, including a, a, like a, the, a, a white man. He is that's his half brother. Right. That's the plantation owner's like you know, son from his marriage that he's really close to. And he, after the Civil War, is like, F it, I'm out of here and I'm going to go pass for white. And 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 the thing that's, ah, oh God, this book, I could just go on and on and on about it, is it is shown that he is losing something by passing for white, mm-hmm. right? He, he loses his sense of community, uh, of course, like a low-level constant fear that he'll be discovered, And then when he, and he is really taken with Edie and she's like, uh, I'm not, why would I get with you? You're a white man, right? You're, you're a danger to me. And I think the development, I think what this, what this really does is it shows like a, a fascinating part of American history. Um, one that we haven't really grappled with in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And here it is in this uh, amazing romance. It shows, I think it shows heroines and women have always been people with agencies agency who have gone after what they wanted. And I think it also shows like the, the depths of um, like what you will do for the people you love and what you're willing, essentially like the price you're willing to pay to be together and to find a way to move forward. And I just think this book is, I, I, I think it's so it's an amazing story. It's an amazing romance. It's right. It's just sort of the whole package. And it's almost impossible for me to believe that anyone could read Forbidden and not be completely blown away by how awesome it is. Yeah. Like it's it, like literally inexplicable to me. I, I would think I'd kind of be like, maybe you're a monster. <laughs> no, it's, it's magnificent. And I think um, one of the things that, blows me away about all of 
So I started reading Bev in 1996. Um, I read Indigo when it was on the, like, new book shelf at my local library when I yeah. was a senior in high school. And um, I – and I – I remember being, you know, I was a senior in high school. I took all my AP classes. Like, I was pretty good right. as a student. And I didn't know anything yeah. about black history in America. Yeah. And particularly Reconstruction era history. I mean, like. Nothing. Literally nothing. I grew up in Rhode Island. Like, there it just it wasn't in the curriculum i knew nothing and i learned reconstruction civil war and reconstruction era history from beverly jenkins she is the Absolutely. reason why i knew any of that stuff and i mean at some point we should talk about the fact that like i learned history from a lot of romance novelists like oh, yeah absolutely, over time right um but like i the hist the the research and the history that Bev puts into every one of these books is just beyond anything I think any of the rest of us do. And it's so seamlessly woven in, too. It does not feel heavy-handed. No, it does I, no. not feel like, oh, now we've reached the history portion of the book. It's just all... To in your point, right? There's this sense of, especially with this book because of Ryan and Edie, the because he's passing for white, you know, what you said about him, it's it becoming very clear that he was losing something by doing that. The the way that the plot sort of clicks together and he has to, I mean, obviously, ultimately, he has to reveal that he's right. black. That he's black. Um, and, the, and there are so many ways as a white lady that I would have screwed that up. And so oh, yeah. <laughs> an infinite number of ways that I would have screwed that up. And what's fascinating is Bev just sort of like delicately places the history into the plot and ties the whole thing together in this like remarkable way where the reveal isn't like a dastardly you know villain it's right it is a very like seamlessly beautiful revelation that comes from it's organic to the history of the book she is one of the best historical writers Ever. I mean, it's like, right, it's an embarrassment of riches. We could have picked any number of books. But this is one, it's pretty recent. It's the number one in this Old West trilogy, which she just finished up. And the two, um, Edie has like two nieces, essentially, her sister's girls. And and the two nieces become the heroines of the next, of the next two books. And so I also like that it's sort of like generational. And then there's this reveal at some point, again, this is like in my book club where my romance book club at 57th Street Books, where one of the women, Natasha, was like, well, all of the in all of Bev's contemporaries, their grandmothers and great grandmothers were the heroines of her of her of her store clothes. <laughs> and perfect. literally everyone was like, <gasps> <laughs> like, it's so amazing. It's perfect. It's it is perfect because that's that's happily ever after, right? Like the there's this rule, right, that you never you can't ever kill a character, right? Like there's no and and I don't mean that you know in the book. I don't obviously you can't kill a hero or a heroine, but like you can do fifty years later, but like you can never talk about those two characters being dead. But if Bev, you know, what Bev has done is she's created this sort of Beverly Jenkins universe where Happily Ever After comes right. with 
generations of offspring who are successful, awesome, kick-ass women in their own right, and ha- and find their own happily ever afters. Like it's yeah. really, yeah. She, oh, she's just so good. Yeah, it's really good. The other thing I think that Forbidden does so well is uh, we talk a lot about internal and external conflicts, and my shorthand for that is like angst versus stakes. Mm-hmm. Forbidden has like both of them in spades, right? Stakes is what happens if people find out. But angst is like, do I want to be with him? Can I be with this white man? Right? Like it's both internal and external mm-hmm. and, and and really strongly in both ways. And I think that when we when we talk about like contemporaries we would want to recommend, often the that calculus is a little bit different. Absolutely. And I think it's like interesting to think then about, okay, so when I recommend a contemporary, right, what is it that I think readers of contemporary romance are going to want? Or what is it that I think people new to the genre are going to want in terms of would they understand a book that's 100% angst, that's all internal conflict? It's interesting because my book, my second pick is very internal, yeah, okay. Tell us. And I picked it because I have recommended this book as a first romance book, um, a first romance read to a number of people. Um and I and I often I I'm I'm wild about it and I think it's so romantic and emotional. It's one of the few romances that when I got to the end of it, I picked it I immediately turned back to the beginning and started reading it again. The book is Alexis Hall's For Real, which is a male-male contemporary set against the BDSM community in London. And the main character is, um, or one of the heroes, his name is uh, Laurie. And Laurie is 37 years old and a surgeon um, with an Oxford or a Cambridge degree. He has like a townhouse in Mayfair. He is very rich. He is very privileged. He is very moneyed. He is old English pedigree. He is a sexual submissive and he is just out of a long term relationship. He has just been left by his long-term partner um, of 10 or 15 years, a long time. And he's devastated by this. Like, he's he's devastated in the way that many of us would be devastated by losing a partner, a life partner, um, after 15 years of giving your life to someone. And we open on him just sort of lost. Like, he still goes to work mm-hmm. and he still pays his bills and he still makes his money and he still sort of lives his life, but he's lost and his friends come over and they're basically like – you have got to shower and you have got to get out of this house because it has been too long and you have to like find a new path. And he's like, and they're like, let's go to this club. And it's a it's a BDSM club. And he's like, I really like I'm exhausted by this. I don't want to be a part of this. Like I'm tired of the scene. I don't want to do it. And like we can all appreciate that, right? Like the I don't want to date anymore. I don't want I don't want to do I don't want to be a part of it anymore. So he goes to this, but he goes because his friends are delightful, as all Alexis Hall's secondary characters are. And um, so they go to this club, and there across the room, he sees a young man, and I mean young, like I mean like just of age, like 20 maybe. Yeah. And he's basically like, what the fuck is that child doing in this place? Right? Yeah. And so he goes across to him, and he says – you need to leave here. Like, this is not for you. This is for grownups. 
And Toby, the the man, the other man says, I know in my heart that I am a sexual dominant and I don't know how to learn it if I don't come to places like this. Like, wow. How do I unlock myself without putting myself out, out there, right? Yeah. And so Lori immediately drops to his knees and goes subservient. And you're like, what is happening? <laughs> but it's not kinky in the way that, like, it's it's so perfectly written that you have this moment where you're like, he's protecting him. Like, it's, a, it's an act of protection, yeah. right? It's, sure. I want to... I want to make sure that you are safe in this exploration, which flips the entire script of, like, BDSM, like, the hot, dominant alpha and the, like, meek virgin. The submissive learning to be submissive, right? Right. What, What happens in this book also isn't, like, well, I know you're submissive and I'm going to show you how you're submissive. This is very much two people who, like, know in their heart what is right for them and they have to figure out how to get there and in order to do that they have to do this exploration they they do this exploration together they find themselves through each other and through yes through sex and i recommend this book because i know i said like oh these are all like kind of 100 level books and this sounds not 100 level but the reality is like if you are open to kink and frankly like Let's be honest, a lot of people are. Like sure. Then this is really sort of a magnificent the there is virtually no external conflict. There's a little bit of like the ex coming back and you know whatever, but the internal conflict is so much about how we find ourselves through the lens of each other and also something I'm really interested in which is how we find ourselves through the lens of sex, like who we are as what our sexual identity means as like part of our world um, and part of our worldview and and part of the way people view us. And I think it's all so beautifully done. And then on top of it, like the cherry on top is that Alexis Hall is a tremendous writer. Yeah. And so the bleak, the sort of bleak moment where, of course, they they sort of have this moment where they're like, we are, we just can't, we're so different, right? Like, Toby lives in like a warehouse walk up with his crazy mom. Mm -hmm. You know, Lori lives in a Mayfair townhouse and they just, they're so opposite of each other, but they're so perfect for each other at the same time. And I think there's something very modern about the story. I often recommend it to um, readers who come from literary fiction. Oh, interesting. Just... They they know they sort of snicker at the idea of like romance having sex in it, um, mm. but they're curious. So I'm sure. always like, all right, yeah, let's do this. Romance has sex in it. This book is going to have sex in it, but it's also so beautifully done and it's so beautifully written. So I often recommend it to people who come from literary fiction. I feel like if you love Alexander Chi or you love A Little Life or you love, you know, um, really sort of emotional introspective um literary fiction this is going to be your a book for you yeah well the other thing that struck me as i was listening to you talk is you know we we all hate the tsunami that is 50 shades of gray but it 
made a space for kink in, yeah. like american life for kink to be something it's a for people to be like yeah i like that i would like to read more kink yeah I'm and curious. then you can say i'm curious right or that worked for me in a way i didn't expect so then you could give them this better book right well it's like that house that was for sale in pennsylvania this week <laughs> Yes. I'm sure everyone listening has heard of this, but there was this crazy, and we'll put it in show notes, there's this house that was for sale in Pennsylvania for $750,000, a five-bedroom house that was basically filled with beds and then a full dungeon, dungeon, including like a bed that had a cage underneath it and like a St. Andrew's cross, which I actually only knew about because I read for real. So it's all coming back. (laughs) Plus, I was was like, like, oh, that's what that looks like. Pottery barn, like sex dungeon by pottery barn. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, I think that it, you know, that's my thing. I, I, yeah, okay. We can all talk about how hard Fifty Shades of Grey is on romance, but I would also like to point out that I think it did something pretty remarkable about mainstreaming kink. Yes. And romance. In a way and romance in a way that honestly maybe that maybe there's something that's not all terrible about that. Yeah. And I think a book like For Real that a door gets opened by Fifty Shades of Grey that maybe wasn't open before. Sure. And I mean, I know that um BDSM is not your thing and maybe Jenny would come back and Jenny Nordback would come back and do a interstitial with us about it because I do think like there's some remarkable writers who are doing it and in really like thoughtful, interesting ways um, for people who, you know, did love Fifty Shades. And, you know, there is no shame. I appreciate that Romance Landia often makes you feel bad about loving Fifty Shades. There is like, you'll never hear me say anything bad about Fifty Shades. Like it, everything Jen just said is 100% correct. And uh, I mean, 150 million copies, like those are yeah. real women reading books. Right. Right, right. And liking them. Yeah. Right. I'm down for that. I only read the first one, though. So Also, I love their emails. I could have read – I could have just read the entire – what I want is somebody to rewrite Fifty Shades as a strictly epistolary novel. <laughs> <laughs> Does okay, anybody Sarah. know E.L. James? Tell her that's what I want next. <laughs> You're like, Sarah's making demands. <laughs> so – but I think that the 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 thing that I keep coming back to with all of these books, right, is that we're really talking about, you know, harnessing what people love outside of romance and then bringing them in. Yeah. So let me tell you about my next book. That's the perfect transition. So the next book I'm going to talk about is Burn For Me by Alona Andrews. And I often describe this to people. It's like really simple. It's like, actually, this hook is so good, it needs a fucking baseline. And what I tell the people <laughs> is, I say, Wait. I say, <laughs> all right, you know, it's coming in post. I know. Post. I'm like, thanks, Eric. Here's what I say to people. I was like, it's Hogwarts for grownups. Oh, that's good. Right? Because what it, and, and this book is, I, I, okay, so I'm like, all right, stop everybody. <laughs> Let me talk about this book. Because it is, so what it is, is it's set in Houston, Texas, and there are magical houses. Now, it's different than Hogwarts because there's not just four at the school. Your magical house is essentially your family's magical house. 
And what determines whether or not you are a house is like the most powerful kinds of magicians are called primes. And there's all these different types of, you know, you can be, uh, you could be a telepath. You can be, you know, you can have to be an ice mage where you can like shoot ice out of your hands. Like there's all these different kinds of magical abilities. And if your magical ability is tested as a prime, then you're, and you're, I forget the name, like two primes per generation and then you're a house or whatever. And the story of, and so I think that like that setup is going to intuitively make sense to anybody who loved Harry Potter, right? So I'm like, it's Harry Potter for grownups with romance, bam. And I've got to tell you the right kind of reader is literally like, what did you say that book was again? And um, the our main character is a woman named Nevada Baylor. She and her family are not they're magic they have magical powers but they are not part of a house but they do own their own investigative agency and what happens in this book is she ends up tangling with the the most powerful musician wrong answer the most powerful magician in the world (laughs) a guy named mad rogan and mad of course is not his name he's just also, I feel laughing. like Mad Rogan might be the most powerful musician in the world. <laughs> I mean, in an alternate universe. Anyway, Mad Rogan is the most powerful magician, and she like runs afoul of him because they're both trying to find the same guy. Now, that's really all you need to know to like sort of like level up into this book. The thing that's also amazing is it has a bunch of really amazing secondary characters. Um, Nevada's grandmother, for example, (laughs) her job is to build like tanks and she does it for magical houses who are going to like go to war with each other. She like essentially (laughs) is a weapons and munitions expert and builds her own fucking tanks. I mean, it is like every single little detail of these books is just a delight, but Nevada is like, I am not getting with this mad Rogan character. Like he has the hots for her and she he's basically like, yeah, like let's do it. And she's like, again, very much like the Beverly Jenkins, like I have too much self-respect to just be one of your women. Mm-hmm. And I <laughs> she's right, a full 2019 mood. Like Oh god. Men yes. are canceled. <laughs> yeah. For sure men are canceled. And I and I mean, and I think the thing that's amazing, so this it's, I will warn you though, this is like the, the biggest warning I'll give. This book is kisses only. Be- I know. I'm like, I can't even I'm like, what? <laughs> that is recommending a kisses not my, only romance. Not my brand at all. But it, what it is, is it's actually a three book series. Now, you all know, I also hate a motherfucking cliffhanger, but. <laughs> I would argue that these are not cliffhangers because it's really more like urban fantasy. Each of the books is its own separate story that ends, like has a satisfying ending to that plot. So it's like the in-depth series. Right. But that we get the continuation of kind of their relationship as they go through whatever's happening in each Mm -hmm. book. So get, I mean, I'm telling you about the first one, but I'm just going to warn you that like clear your weekend and read all three is it kisses only all through the series? No. Oh no 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 no! Eventually, they don't get there. They do it in the second book. Okay, I'm like just <laughs> so looks, you can prepare yourself. You guys oh. can't see her. She looks delighted. Delighted. Right <laughs> you guys, I want to tell you something. I read the first two books, 
And then I knew the third one was the last one. And I was so sad about there only being one more that before I let myself read the third one, I went back and reread the first two. <laughs> and then I read the third one and I did all of that. I reread one, I read one and two and then one and two and three in probably three days. Oh, that's really high praise for a series. It is. I mean, and I just, I just think also if I would say if you were talking to someone who's like, I just don't think I can do romance at all because the the romance is important here, but the 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 story of the magical houses and like all mm-hmm. that drama is is really equal. Mm-hmm. I I would say like if if my husband ever said he'd read a romance, I've already I'm ready. It's going to be this book. <laughs> well, you never know. Faded mates might bring him there. You guys, maybe. <laughs> um, I also just want to put a plug in for Alona and Gordon. Alona Andrews is the pen name for a husband and wife team. Um, and they yeah. are really remarkable, decent, good, kind people. And sometimes good things happen to good people. And I'm yeah. always very happy when I meet successful authors who are also great in person. Yeah. I really love these books. I've reread them a bunch of times. I just, they just like, ugh, they just scratch that itch for sure. Also, Mad Rogan's like, mm, yummy. <laughs> I mean, sold on the name alone, frankly. Yeah, his real name's Connor. What? Connor Rogan. Thumbs down. <laughs> Mad, Mad Rogan. Is, Mad is much better. Um, You know, well, I mean, Tom Hardy. Yeah. Tom Hardy made me like Mad. He could... Yes, that would work for me. <laughs> um, I'm all like, I'm thinking about some of my favorite scenes right now. I'm like, okay, the podcast has to be over right now so I can go back. What, are you casting Tom Hardy as Mad Rogan? Um, okay, sure. <laughs> You're like, I'll allow it. I'll allow it, yeah. So that was awesome. I hope that I hope this worked. And I hope that um, you guys definitely have romances that you consider good gateway romances so hit us up on twitter or instagram or uh you know uh, send us an email carrier pigeon (laughs) whatever um and we and tell us what what your gateway romances are we want to hear them um next week we're back with iad and um don't forget to subscribe like or review us wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks yeah. for being with us. Have a great week. Read something fun for us. I really say it every week. The biggest danger to my TBR list is our own interstitials. <laughs> yeah, I'm not I'm not sorry about that. I want an unlimited book budget. Well, there are public libraries. I know. You could better believe I'm going to find that Dooku ravish me. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, everyone.